are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Can you believe that the month of July is almost over? In fact, I think August is scheduled to arrive in about, what, 13 hours. If it's on time, it should be here right at midnight. I've, I've loved worshiping with you as a, just this congregation, a community of faith, all together in one service, and, and I've loved it, and, and I hope it's been a blessing to you. I, I know that July is, is one of those seasons of the year where we tend to travel some, we tend to vacation some, we take trips. And for our family, when our girls were little, it seemed like always the trip to the destination was much more enjoyable than the trip back home. We were tired, the girls were a little cranky. We were probably thinking to ourselves, man, as soon as we pull in the drive, we need to start laundry and mow the lawn and get life back in order. We always felt like we needed a day of rest after the vacation because we were so worn out from being gone on the vacation, you know. I, I want you to hear me, okay? When you think about the series we've been in and recovering our identity as who we are, as followers of Jesus... I don't want you to think about it like you would think about a trip that we've taken and now we're back home and it's over. This, this is not the end of anything. This is the beginning of a refocus as a church. Coming back to a deep understanding of who Jesus calls us to be. Reclaiming our identity as followers of Jesus. And it's been really good for me personally as I've walked with you this last month. I mean, as we have focused that first Sunday on the Great Commission when Jesus says to His disciples, Okay, this is what I want you to give your life to. This is what I want you to be about. I want you to help people come to know Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations. And then after they have become convinced and they sign on and they become followers... Then I want you to teach them everything that I've commanded you. My way of life, my teaching. I want you to teach them to follow me. In essence, I want you to teach them to become like me. And Jesus is saying in that passage, there are two things that I want you to give your life to. I want you to become more like me and I want you to help others come to know me. That's who we are. That's who we are called to be as a church. And, and personally, I mean, throughout this month, I felt the Holy Spirit over and over saying to me, Rick, how much do you want to become like Jesus? How important is this to you? Of what you want out of life, how much do you want this? And I have felt the Holy Spirit challenge me, how passionate are you about helping people come to know me? I stood here last Sunday and I, and I gave you all a card and I asked you to write your name on the card and then write down names of people that you are going to be inviting. Inviting into your life. Inviting for coffee. Inviting to a faith conversation. Inviting to a meal. Maybe one day inviting to your church. Maybe one day inviting them to come to know Jesus. And I remember standing here saying, if you're looking at that card... If you and I look at that card and we don't have any idea in the world whose name we might write down on that card, if there's nobody on our radar, there's nobody that we're praying for, nobody that we're concerned about their spiritual walk, 
then that tells us that we are not passionate about helping people come to know Jesus. And so what, what I've just been doing simply over this last month is just saying, let's, let's reclaim our identity. Let's be people who are passionate about becoming like Jesus and passionate about helping people come to know Jesus. And, and so last week we, we just said, how do, how do we help people come to know Jesus? And, and the strategy, I think it's really simple. It's the culture of the New Testament. I talked about the New Testament. I just see this culture of invitation that started with Jesus. Jesus himself one day, after two disciples of John, followed him around, turned around and said, what do you want? And they said, where are you staying? And Jesus just said, well, wh- why don't you just come on? Come and see. Why don't you just come with me? Just come on. Just come with me. And they went with him and they spent the whole day. And after they spent the whole day, Andrew went and found his brother Simon and said, Simon, you've got to meet this Jesus. You've got to come with me. And so Simon went with him. And then Jesus found Philip and he said, Philip, come on. Come on, follow me. Just, Just come with me, Philip. And Philip goes and finds Nathaniel and he says, I think we have found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. And Nathaniel protested and said, can any good thing come from Nazareth? And you know what Nathaniel, Philip said to Nathaniel? Well, well, Nathaniel, why don't you just come with me? And, and it was this culture of living with our arms open. I, I think it's all we really have. In helping people come to know Jesus. Just living with our arms open. Just living in this culture of invitation. Why don't you just come one with me? Why don't you come to my house? Why don't you come with me for a cup of coffee? Why don't you come with me for a meal? Why don't you come with me and let's have a faith conversation? Why don't you come with me to my church? And at one point it may be that the Lord would put you in a position to say, why don't you come to meet Jesus? Why don't you invite Him into your heart? If, if, if that's how we help people come to know Jesus, how do we become more like Jesus? And how are those two related? How are they independent, interdependent rather, upon one another? So, so I want to talk to you about this today. And, and what I see in the New Testament beyond this culture of invitation is a culture of, okay, I'll use the word out of the Scripture this morning, okay? I see a culture of devotion, all right? So not only is there this culture of I'm living with my arms like this, not like this, okay? But, but there is also this culture in the New Testament of devotion. So... Let, let me share this with you. Um, Jesus has been crucified and he has been resurrected from the dead. And over a period of 40 days, he appears to the, to the disciples many times and he talks to them about the kingdom of God, right? And he says to them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here until you receive the gift that the Father has promised you. Because when you receive the Holy Spirit upon you, You'll receive power and you will be my witnesses. So your life is going to become about being my witness. You're going to tell people about me and you're going to help people come to know me. That's what your life is going to be about. And you're going to be empowered to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, Simon Peter is the first one that we really see demonstrate this power. He stands up and he preaches and guess what happens? 3,000 people become followers of Jesus that day. 
And so you've got this rush of growth in the church. You had all of these other followers, but now you've got 3,000 additional followers just immediately. And so if you're a new follower of Jesus, what does life look like for you? What does discipleship look like for you? How do you live your life? What, what kinds of things do you do? And as you begin to live that life, what does that whole community that you're in begin to look like? And that's what Luke gives us a picture of in chapter 2, verse 42, okay? He says, these early believers who became followers of Jesus, here is what their lives looked like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So, so think with me. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. And when they become convinced, when they sign on, here's what you do. You teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teach them my way of life. Teach them what it means to become like me. And so now, the apostles are doing what Jesus said to do. They've made disciples, converts, and now they are teaching them the way of Jesus. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. I don't know of a better way to say this except friendship. Hanging out together, spending time, investing in your life. You invest in my life. Let's be friends. Let's support each other. Let's encourage one another. Let's speak truth into each other's life. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. This is probably a reference to the Lord's Supper that would be followed by a friendship meal. And so they're eating together and they're worshiping together. But you understand, it says they were devoted to the teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were, they were devoted to prayer. And it wasn't a matter of saying, if I don't have other things going on in my life, then I'll do some of this stuff. No, no, it was, it was priority for them. And then Luke says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and the signs that were performed by the apostles. Look at this community. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. So they would sell property and possessions and give to anyone as he had need. So our, our little family is just the, you know, four of us, me and that two girls. And, and, uh, and, and if Annette had come to us when our little family was all growing up together and said, you know, I, I've been to the doctor. He's given me a prescription. I need some medicine. Morgan and Brittany and I would have not looked at Annette and said, hmm, hope that works out for you. Because you don't have a job. No. No. We, we, we said, well, we're family. This isn't my money. It's not your money. It's our money. You, you need medicine. We'll buy you medicine. If Morgan, my youngest daughter, had come and said, Dad, I really need something, we wouldn't have said, well, <laughs> hope that works out. We would have said, well, no, we're a family, Morgan. And, and if you have a need, we, we have money, we'll, we'll buy this. And that's the way the early church is functioning. They saw themselves as this family. And I understand we've got to be wise and we don't want to encourage people who are making bad decisions and not, you know, working. And all. I understand all of that, okay? But there was this atmosphere within the church that said, if you have a need, I've got something I can sell and I can help you. Every day. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes and ate together 
with glad and sincere hearts. They were hanging out, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. People who weren't following Jesus, they were looking at this community of believers going, that's kind of cool, you got to admit. They were impressed. And I believe some of the people who became followers were attracted to the community before they ever understood who Jesus was. But they were obviously talking to people about Jesus all the time because it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. And I've said to you before, I would love to be a part of a church one day where every day somebody's coming to Jesus, wouldn't you? So this is God's Word for us. And I think there's something great for us to learn here this morning, okay? We have a, we have a family in our church their names are uh, Steve, Michelle, Malone, and they have children. And Steve and Michelle are uh, sitting here somewhere close by, and I'm going to embarrass them just a little bit. But they, they live their lives like this. So if you said to Steve and Michelle, you, you should try to live like this, they would say, that, that's not us. We can't live like that. So what do you mean, Rick, when you say they live their lives like this? I mean like they have foster children in their home. They just kind of say, come on, you know, just, just come on. And there's a young man whose name is Kendall, who several months ago, they just said to Kendall, hey, Kendall, come on. And Kendall kind of just fell into their arms. They, they didn't say to Kendall, Kendall, um, we want to present to you the four spiritual laws. They just loved Kendall. Just walked with him. Support, encourage, but they just live like this. And on Tuesday night, I'm sitting in my house on a little love seat beside a net because we're in love. That's where we sit. <laughs> and I get a text from Steve Pastor, just thought you'd want to know a few minutes ago. Kendall accepted Jesus into his heart. Would you stand up, Kendall, and let us welcome you into the family of God this morning? Anybody, anybody saying, um, why is it just with Malone's? I mean, why isn't that my story? I'm a Jesus follower. I mean, I loved hearing about Callie just, just opening her arms, you know. Oh, you're expecting a baby? Come on. Just, just come in here with us. I mean, I mean, why is it just her story? I mean, why, why is it that my story? Why isn't that all of our stories? I, I've been saying to you for, you know, a few weeks now, I, I think deep down in our hearts, all of us have this sense that, that the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America could and should be so much more than it is. 
We feel deep in our spirits that something is terribly wrong. It's difficult to put our fingers on it, but we know in our hearts that, that things should be different than they are. Those stories should be happening just every day in our lives. I remember the first Sunday we started the series, I quoted you from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity when he says, the reason the church of Jesus Christ exists is to lead men into Christ and to make them little Christ. The only reason the church of Jesus Christ exists is to lead men into Christ and to make them little Christ. It's about leading people to Jesus and helping them become more like Jesus. It's the reason for our existence. I was talking with a friend this week and he says, Rick, I remember, I remember one Sunday you, you were preaching and you said, what if Jesus showed up at our church on Sunday? I mean, the real human Jesus. And we were elated. (laughs) You're going to love our church. This is what we do on Sundays. Monday, we'll hang out together. We'll show you what it's all about. Tuesday, I mean, it's just a busy church. I mean, lots going on all week long in the church. The summers are full of stuff for students and children. I mean, you'll love it. And and I think somewhere along the end of the week, Jesus would say to us, "When, when do you hang out with people who don't follow me? That's, that's the thing I want to go to. I think Jesus would say, that, that's the event I want to be a part of. I mean, I love all this other stuff too, don't get me wrong. But when do you hang out with people who don't follow me? That, that's, the, that's the deal I want to be a part of. So, so what I'm about to say, I, I think is crucial. Not saying that other things I've said aren't crucial. I, I don't know why I said that. I, I guess I just want to make sure you hear me. As we become more like Jesus, okay, we will develop a deeper passion to help people come to know Jesus. As, as you and I, don't get them backwards, okay? As we become more like Jesus, out of that will flow a passion to help people come in to a right relationship with God through the grace of Jesus. Because to be like Jesus is to be passionate about people who don't know Him. Jesus says, this is why I've come. To bring people out of darkness into light. I've come that you might have life and have it full. This is what it means to be like Jesus. Is to have a passion for people who don't know Him. And a desire to lead people into a relationship with Him. So so then we've got to somehow become more like Christ. And how does that happen? And let me just quickly say, it is only by grace. It is the work of God in us. Now, often God uses things to do His work in us. And what I see in this passage I read to you, in this picture of the early church, 
is a group of believers who devoted themselves to certain practices. And as they devoted themselves to these certain practices, God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, used these practices as a means of grace to help people become more Christ-like. And so, here's what they did. They joined together. It was always in the context of community. They joined together, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So it wasn't a matter of saying, I might, I might sit through a sermon every now and then. It was a matter of saying, this is priority. I'm devoting myself to this. They devoted themselves to fellowship. It's not about me and my walk with God. It's about me and my walk with God and you and your walk with God. So we're in this thing together and we've got to be devoted to one another. They devoted themselves to worship, the breaking of bread, which probably included also a fellowship meal, which was more community life. They devoted themselves to prayer. And, and I believe that through those practices, God used those practices as a means of grace by the power of His Holy Spirit to help those people become more like Christ. Now, what happened as a result of it? And I think that's what happens in those next few verses. I was, I was at a McDonald's drive-thru a few uh, nights ago um, because I know how to take care of a woman, and I will buy her the richest of foods. I will do that. Uh, I was picking Annette up a salad. Go to McDonald's, she said, and, and get me a salad. So I go get her a salad. And as I'm in the line at McDonald's to pay in the car line, the lady in front of me is in a black impala. I think she's looking in her side view mirror right at me as she is like up to the window paying. To the point that I'm thinking, okay, I'm pretty sure you're looking at me. And, and I'm thinking maybe you know me. That's why you're looking at me. Because all I can see, you know, in the mirror is this much of her, right? I, and so I'm struggling to recognize her. But um, she looked at me so much, I finally nodded kind of this kind of smile. Like, how you doing? When I pull up to the window to pay, the guy at the window says, uh, the lady in front of you paid for your meal. And I said, why do you think she did that? And he said, random act of kindness, I suppose. And so she pulls up to get her food and her window is down and my window is down. And so I'm assuming she goes to our church and I just can't figure out who it is. And she was in a black and pallet license plate number. No, I'm teasing. So... <laughs> So I just kind of leaned my head out the window a little bit and, and I said, thank you for buying my dinner. And she said, you're welcome. And then I'm feeling kind of a little empty still. And I said, do we know each other? And she said, no. And then she said, the person in front of me bought my food, so I thought I'd buy your food. And I look in my rearview mirror immediately. And there's nobody behind me. I'm expecting a suburban with a family of eight. You know what I'm saying? I'm driving away thinking, and I got to be the recipient of it all, right? I'm the one that got the big, biggest blessing, I, I guess. But, but I thought, how neat, you know? The person in front of her paid for hers. She paid for mine. If there had been somebody behind me, I would have paid for that. What a neat community to be a part of. And, and that's the community that Luke describes. 
And I think what he is describing is something that is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believers. And I believe that what God uses are those practices to help transform the people to become the people that they were. And the people that they were were people who said, you have a need, I have something I can sell. I'll help you with your need. And by the way, we're coming over for dinner tonight. And let's meet at the temple court later, can we? And let's share Jesus with people. You know they were because people were coming to Jesus every day. And I think the result of those practices that the Holy Spirit used to transform them into the image of Christ resulted in the community that you see in verses 43 through 47. I think that's what happens. So I think you and I should talk about this. Because it is in danger of being highly misunderstood. And the danger of misunderstanding lies in this. So if I do these six things, if I check them off the list, then I'm good, right? No, that's not what I'm saying. It's not some legalistic, if I just do these things, then me and God, we're good, right? No, that's not what I'm saying. James Bryan Smith says, practices are not rules. They are wisdom. Think about that. They're not rules. Nobody says, you have to serve somewhere or you have to do this this way. It's just wise. Because through practices, God changes us. Through practices, God changed the people of the early church. Okay? Here's what I'm trying to say. We can't change our own hearts. I don't have the power to change my heart. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can change my heart. About the only thing that I think I can do, and I have to have grace to do this, is show up. (laughs) And so when I show up to church by God's grace, I believe that often when I come in here on Sunday morning, God powerfully works inside of me. When Lewis prayed this morning, God was talking to me. When faithful God was being sung, the Lord was revealing something to me, reminding me of His faithfulness. I believe when I show up in the mornings with the Bible and some time to talk to God, I believe that God changes me through that. God speaks to me through His Word. God speaks to me in times of prayer. I believe when I show up for a small group experience and I sit around with other people and I talk about my journey with God and they talk about their journey with God and we talk about the Scriptures together and we pray for one another, I believe God changes me through those experiences. I believe when I serve, God changes me through that experience. When I give, God changes me through that experience. When I share my faith with others, I'm telling you... (laughs) 
I'm walking on my toes when I walk away. God does something inside of me. Anybody still struggling? Yeah, but it feels like works. I'm saved by grace. Let me show you what Dallas Willard said, okay? Dallas Willard said, Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. We're not trying to earn favor with God. We're not trying to earn forgiveness. That's not possible. That's a gift. That's not the conversation. The conversation is about becoming more like Jesus. Is that what you want? So there's people here this morning who would say, boy, when you think about those six practices you always mention, Pastor, I mean, I go to church. We go pretty regularly. I mean, we could, we could be a little more present. Sometimes we don't make it priority. I mean, I, I, I try to pray some in the mornings. I, I try to read the Bible some. Some of you might say that's, that's a real weakness for me. I'm really not a group kind of person. Um, I don't. I don't do that kind of thing. I can't really name somebody where like I'm investing in their walk with God and they're investing in mine. I, I don't have that going on. If I ask you, so where do you serve? You might look at your spouse and say, "Honey, where is it that we do serve?" Remind me. I don't know that we're serving pastor anywhere. I don't know how generous we are in, in our giving. Boy, trying to share Jesus with somebody else, <laughs> that's a tough one. I believe this is what God is calling us to. I know of no other path toward Christ-likeness than to show up and say, God, will you change me? I'll show up at church. I'll show up for devotions. I'll show up to serve. I'll show up to a group. I'll show up. If I show up, God... I am helpless to change my own heart. Will you change me? And will you give me the grace to show up? Because I can't even do that on my own. I've been talking about September the 11th for several weeks, and I keep saying, you cannot miss September the 11th. You've got to be here on September the 11th. You've got to bring people with you on September the 11th. I, I'm going to be preaching that morning. I realize to people who are believers who have walked with Jesus for many years, and I'll be preaching to people who are, who are, you know, returners to church, maybe who have been out for a long time, but you've invited them. They've come with you that morning, and, and I'm going to be sharing with them. And there's going to be people who are seekers, who aren't even claiming to be followers of Jesus. And I know that I'm going to be very broad in my message that morning, but here's what I'm going to be asking people to do. Commit to some of these practices. And some of you are going to commit to six. Some of you maybe already are. Some of you may commit to one more. Some of you may just commit to one. That person that you bring that doesn't know Jesus, they may say, you know what? I'm going to show up at church for these 40 days. I'm going to do this thing. For 40 days, I'm going to walk with you guys. I don't know why I'm doing it. I don't know what it's all about, but I'm going to do it. And if maybe somewhere along the way it's okay, and I'm going to go to a group. Do you know what God is going to do in the heart of that person? Do you know what God is going to do in your heart in 40 days? 
As you begin to say, God, I can't change myself. I believe something is terribly wrong inside of me. I think I should be different than I am. I seek to follow you and to know you, but I need renewal in my heart. I'm going to show up and I'm just going to pray, Lord, that you change my heart. See, here's what I'm believing. I'm believing that there will be people years from now who will look back on September 2016 and say, that's when it started. Maybe even if you had walked with the Lord, even years before that, something changed in me. In September of 2016, God did something in me. And I've never been the same since. Wow, I have preached for a while. And I'm not done. I'll say it quickly this way. I think the proof is always before us. I spent a lot of time over the last year asking people, when you look back on a season of your life and you experience real spiritual growth, would you tell me what was going on in that season? So I've done it at dinner with so many people. <laughs> I've done it in large groups of people in a room. Raise your hand and tell me. And I always get kind of the same answers. And it always involves... I went on a mission trip, Pastor Rick. I went to serve. You know? Or I found a church where the teaching was really practical. I, I could leave there on Sunday and I could just apply that stuff to my life every day. See, I think that's the goal of preaching. It's not just knowing the Word. It's knowing how to apply the Word to my daily life. Who knew the Word better than anybody in Jesus' day? The Pharisees. Who wanted to kill Jesus? The Pharisees. It's not a matter of simply knowing the Word, but how do I apply it? And some people say to me, I, I got this preaching, I got this teaching, and, and, and I could just take it and apply it. Or maybe it was when I started finally reading my Bible. Or when I started praying in the mornings. I was with a guy the other day whose name is Rich, and he said, you remember you talked me into doing morning devotions. We were playing to golf together in Cincinnati. And he says, you told me where to go, what to do. I got online. He comes to my email. He says, I still do that same thing after all these years. It, it's interesting to me that when we block out time to go away to a camp or a retreat or maybe a missions trip, it's kind of interesting how we plan those things, isn't it? At camp, you go to church in the morning and you go to church at night and you have a small group in the middle of all that and you're in fellowship with other believers all day long and you might even have a service project that you do. Those are called practices. <laughs> you go on a missions trip. We get up, we have devo devotions together as a team. We spend time with God. We go out and we serve. We come back and we spend time with God. We have quiet time through the day. We give of our resources to those people. Those are called practices. And you come home and somebody says, how was the trip or how was the camp or how was the retreat? And you say, oh my goodness, it changed my life. And all you did was showed up. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, God changed who you were. Very basic elementary things. And so many of us have let so many of those things fall to the side in our lives. We become so busy, so distracted. 
But on September the 11th, I'm going to ask you to join me. I'm going to ask you to make commitments. I'm going to ask the person that you bring with you that is returning to church and the person who is seeking God. What if you just did one of these with us for 40 days? If we just walked together, you're not by yourself, you're not alone. And that's what September the 11th will look and feel like. We'll begin a journey together. I'm way over time, so I'm stopping. But before I stop, i got to tell you that on September the 4th, Scott Stearman is just going to set the table for us, and he's going to talk to us about the fact that every day in our lives we are sculpting the image of Jesus. And he'll do it with artwork, and it'll be a wonderful day together. September the 4th, Labor Day weekend. And he'll remind you that every day people are looking to you to know what Jesus looks like. You want to stand with me? So, if I was where you are, and the pastor said, I want everybody to hold hands with each other, I would think, you know, that's just strange. That's weird. You know, to me, that's a little uncomfortable. I wish I was more creative. I wish I had a better way. But I'm actually going to do that. I'm going to ask you to join hands all across And I'm going to ask Lewis to come. Lewis has been at this church for 30-some years on staff, grew up here in this community, been a part of this church. Just go ahead and just kind of reach out and and grab people's hands, will you? Can you just, is that okay? Is that too awkward? Is that all right? I'm going to hold hands with Lewis, okay? (laughs) Annette, can you you come up here, Annette? But, Lewis, would you just pray for us? Man, Father, you've spoken to my heart. You've spoken to all of us. And uh, probably the very first thing I realize is I cannot do this on my own. Mm-hmm. We cannot do this on our own. And maybe just even holding hands is reminding us how much we need each other and how much we need our Heavenly Father. Yes. Your power to transform our hearts is where it starts. So, God, move up and down these rows in these aisles and put your power within us and change us. Mm-hmm. Direct us and guide us. And, and I want to be available to practice the McDonald's window in other places than just McDonald's, in my neighborhood, in my devotions, uh, in my whole life. Help me to be sensitive to your spirit when it tells me to do something or not to do something, that's the kind of follower I want to be and we want to be. Bless us as we leave here. Amen. Amen. God bless you.